0: It's a real privilege for me to introduce our speaker, Clark Petticord, this morning. Clark is um, a very good friend of mine, Clark, and his wife Anne, and I'm sure for many of you here this morning, he's uh, also a good friend. Uh, Clark um, is the director for Campus for Christ in Germany, which is the German counterpart of uh, Campus Crusade for Christ, and uh, is a man of, of real vision. And faith and character. His concern is to reach not only students in Germany, but um, the lawmakers and statesmen and uh, educational leaders of that of that country. And he's had quite an impact on uh, on that uh, nation already. I had an opportunity four years ago, along with Carolyn, to visit Clark and Ann and Gießen, and we just uh, came to appreciate them even more. Is Ann here this morning? Uh, I I should mention he is also a proud papa. Uh, Shauna was born uh, nine months ago, and he's just uh, a new man. Just, uh, <laughs> I want you to meet Clark. Will you come on up? And uh, if uh, Ann's still here, why don't you? Can you okay. introduce her? All right.
1: mm-hmm. If my wife is here, would she please stand up? <laughs> there we go. <laughs> Oh, I see. Uh Uh-huh. That's it. So, well, I would love to have you meet my daughter under other circumstances, but uh, she's sort of just sleeping away here. She is the star of this uh, little family. Um, I was talking to Dr. Bill Bright this summer, who is the founder and director of Campus Crusade for Christ, and uh, he asked me what it's like to uh, have a child after 15 years of marriage. And I said, "Well, uh, Bill, most people have the brains to start this program a little earlier <laughs> but uh, she has entered our lives like a whirlwind, and we are just delighted. I'm sure you'll get a chance to meet her. She's a very people oriented person, so uh, she's just really special. Um, I don't think she'll say anything right now.
0: <laughs>
1: maybe. <laughs> maybe a deep sigh, but uh, it's really special to be back here with you and uh, Thank you for your prayers so much for us and for Shauna. You wanted to say something?
2: I just wanted to thank you for praying for Shauna. When I think how we drag her around and she goes everywhere with us and she sleeps in big audiences and, and cries really loud at times when she's not supposed to, but usually she's really happy. I think this is an answer to prayer. We are both only children, don't know that much about babies, and you learn how fast... <laughs> When, when she was in the hospital the first time I was trying to change her diaper she filled it <laughs> and there's this little box in this hospital where I was where you could call the nurse and I must have sounded just terrified because the nurse ran all the way to the door took a deep breath when she walked in but I could tell that she'd been running because she was like, <laughs> and then she, oh it's just fine and it's just <laughs> fine I cleaned it all up and I thought going to get these diapers to stay on <laughs> and now I feel like a professional <laughs> okay. thank you for praying and thank you that she's healthy and I know that that was part of your prayer okay.
1: you'll have a chance to visit with Ann and Shauna a little bit more when Shauna wakes up probably But uh, it's really special to be back here uh, with you coming back home for the holidays is a special experience and uh I reflected a little bit as we were thinking about this morning what uh, relationship there is between missions and Christmas, and uh, that might not appear at first sight to be closely related, but it is. And I'd like to reflect with you this morning a bit on the significance of Christmas in regard to our task. The reason that we are around in this world, alive in this world, as those who follow Christ. Of course, Christians start the year at a different time than everyone else. The beginning of the uh, Christian year is in December, not in January, because the first Sunday of Advent, as it's called, is followed by three other Sundays. There are four Advent Sundays and then Christmas, and that's always traditionally among Christians been the beginning of the year. And why do Christians begin the year at a different time than everyone else? Well, simply that the beginning of the, the meaning of history is that God entered our world as a little baby, just like that one, and uh, just like Shana. And he entered our world and left his fingerprints all over history. And as I reflect on the meaning of Christmas and the significance of Christmas for our lives, I reflect a little bit what things are happening in the village where we live in Germany right now, and I thought I'd like to give you a little glimpse of what's going on in our little village outside of Gießen. As some of you know who, who, who have visited us, as you look out from our balcony, we uh, live in a housing development, and as you look out from our apartment, you can see the red roofs of the village. And as you see the smoke rising from the chimneys, most of them heat with coal uh, still. You fetch coal and uh, from the coal bin and put it in the uh, coal heater. As you see the smoke rising, you see the tower of the village church. Now that tower was built, the first part of it, in the 1300s. And every Sunday as Ann and I go to church, we worship in a building that was begun to be built a hundred years before Columbus discovered America. And that's sort of a sobering experience and in the village which is built many of the houses are built out of huge oak beams with mud and straw put in between the beams and then covered over with plaster it's what we call Tudor style in America Uh, those oaken beams often have woodworms by the way there are some benefits of having children Uh, woodworms at least the big ones don't like noise And my friends tell me that if you have enough children, that the woodworm won't work during the day. But as you're uh, laying in bed at night, you can hear him crunching his way along through that old old oaken beam. Uh, I'm not sure how secure you'd feel hearing that sound, but apparently uh, most of the beams are a little too hard for him to digest after all those years. But uh, there are some other advantages to having children as well as uh, the ones we usually expect. So if you have any problem with woodworms, you might consider that solution. Um, In the church today, in Ligaston, the village where we live, the altar will be covered with a purple cloth, which is a symbol of royalty, because the king is coming. Christmas is the celebration that the king of kings entered our world, our time and space, to live with us and save us from our iniquity. And above the altar, there's a huge round wreath made of pine boughs. And there are four candles that are around that wreath. That's the Advent wreath. And each Sunday of Advent, a new candle is lit. So that this Sunday, being the fourth Sunday in Advent, all four candles will be lit. And then on Christmas Eve, at about 11 o'clock, if it's snowing, we'll put on our coats and crunch through the snow And go to the village church, and it's packed with people, and you can smell wet wool from people's coats as they've been uh, walking through the snow. And then the very last candle, the fifth candle in the middle of the wreath will be lit to celebrate the coming of the one who's the light of the world. And then at the end of the service, a song will be sung, O du fröhliche, O you happy, O you uh, glorious Christmas time, Celebrating again the entry of God into our world, into our dimension and our time. And uh, I think as we reflect on these things, and all of us have these sort of memories of Christmas, I think we realize the meaning of Christmas when we stop and think about it, and that's that God did become a human being. That he entered our world, our time, our space, and became man. And we may know the message of Christmas. The message of Christmas is very straightforward. That we are to give the leadership of our lives into the control and into the hands of this one who became a child, grew up, died on a cross, and rose again from the dead. There's a word used in German, very seldom used in German these days. It's the word Führer. Uh, There's reasons that it's used very seldom. Uh, The word was rather misused during the uh, Third Reich, of course with Hitler, but often when I'm speaking with German student groups, I share with them that is what it really means to understand the message of Christ, is that Christ becomes our Führer. He becomes the one who is the final absolute authority in our lives, who demands and receives our absolute allegiance. That is the meaning, Uh, that is the message that Christmas really embodies is that Christ wants to become our Führer, our leader, the one who holds our absolute total allegiance. But I'd like to talk with you this morning about another aspect of Christmas and the un- another aspect of this time of year, and that is the motivation that it produces in our lives as those who know and love Christ. What is the motivation of Christmas? There's a passage, uh, a short verse, at the end of the Gospel of John that I'd like to share with you. It's a a statement that Christ made after he had risen from the dead and as he was visiting with the disciples. It's in chapter 20 of of, uh, the book of John. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. Shalom. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. I'd like to repeat that for our attention. As the Father has sent me, so send I you. As we reflect on the significance of Christmas and what it's all about, we cannot escape the fact that it is meant as our reflection should motivate us to go to others as Christ has come to us. As the Father has sent me, said Jesus, so send I you. And I'd like to reflect with you A few moments today on how the Father sent Christ and how he came. Because as we do, it will give us guidelines for how we are to go in our mission, in our motivation to take the message of Christ to others. The first observation that I'd like to make with you on how Christ came is that he came from outside, Christ came as an outsider. He was one of us, and yet he wasn't. He came from eternity, from eternal fellowship with God the Father and God the Spirit, and entered our time and our world. But he was an outsider. He entered a world of pain and suffering and tears, leaving behind the fellowship and comfort of, eternity. He was different his entire life. He was like us and yet he was not like us. That is the significance of Christmas for us as well and as we reflect on how we are to take the message of Christ to others. We have to be willing to be different and yet the same. We have to be willing to be misunderstood uh, living in another culture, those of you that have had that privilege, that experience, know that when you leave your own home culture and you go to another culture, you leave behind you an awfully lot. But then as you learn to live in a new culture, you gain a lot as well. And the interesting thing is that if you were to leave that other culture, you would leave behind part of your heart there. So you're a person really without a home, in a one sense. And the meaning of the biblical injunction that we're pilgrims on this earth, we're to be pilgrims, really begins to hit home. As the old black spiritual says, this world ain't my home. I'm just a passing through. My home is really laid up beyond the blue. And just as Jesus was an outsider, we who follow Christ need to reckon with the fact that we're going to be outsiders as well. That we're never going to feel completely comfortable with the value systems and the standards of the world around us. I have an illustration that I use with our staff sometimes that come from overseas to work in Germany. It's as if everyone in the culture has a T-shirt on with a number on it, maybe one, two, four, eight, and those numbers are the little boxes that people put one another in when they meet each other he's a number one or he's a number four, a social class or a group of people. They have everybody organized after a few moments, just as we do, by the way, in talking with people. Well, we as Americans, as we come to Germany, we have a big zero on our T-shirt. Nobody can quite fit us in. Nobody quite knows how to put us in the category that we belong in. We had a unique experience, uh, the... Daughter of a family that we're very close to in Germany uh, was engaged, and there was an engagement party. And there were people from all over Germany at this engagement party. Anne and I were the only uh, outsiders. And uh, as we were talking about things, just visiting, uh, I happened to mention to one fellow, uh, talking about Idaho, I said, well, there's a lot of horses in Idaho, and my wife had eight horses when I met her. I know that's even a little unusual for Idaho. Uh, Anne raised horses and uh, trained them, worked at the Highland Stables, so there's a reason for it. But uh, it meant she had a few acres out back and uh, kept these horses and went begging grass clippings from the neighbors to feed them. But um, he, his mouth sort of fell open, and I knew at that moment that I was experiencing a little cross-cultural communication problem. And the problem was this. In Germany, to have one horse means you're already in the category of a millionaire. And to have eight horses, your father probably initials start with R and end with Rockefeller. And uh, so now and then, during that uh, time that afternoon, people would sort of casually ask us in the conversation, uh, what did you say your family did? (laughs) And I knew we miscommunicated a little, but... uh, We were outsiders. We had a zero on our t-shirt. We can fit in anywhere. We can work with the working class people. We can work with nobility. We can work with politicians. We can work with everybody. It's an unusual experience. Jesus came as an outsider. And as we go to talk to others about Christ, I'm not talking just here about cross-cultural missions. I'm talking about the person next door or the person that you work next to, that perhaps comes from a different background. Are we willing to be zeros for Christ in that context? Are we willing to be misunderstood, perhaps, in order to help and to communicate? That's the significance of why Christ came. He was willing to leave the comfort of his own environment and enter our world. And that's the second point that I'd like to observe with you this morning about how Christ came. Because as he came, so we're to come to others. We're to go to others and communicate the message of his love and forgiveness. He learned our culture and language. Jesus did not parachute out of heaven speaking a language that only angels understood. He was born in a manger. He grew up. His first words were not John 3.16. His first words were Dada or Mama or the equivalent thereof, Abba, in Hebrew and Aramaic. He learned a language that people speak. He learned a culture. He learned how to behave at weddings. He learned who to tell to take the uh, jars of water to that he turned to wine. He understood. He knew his way around a culture and a language, and a people. He took time. He cared enough to give his best. Do we care enough about those that don't know Christ, that live next to us, that rub shoulders with us, that we're willing to learn to speak the message of Christ in their language? I'm not just talking about American English. Uh, I'm not talking about learning German or Chinese or Navajo. I'm talking about learning to put those things that are deepest on our hearts and most significant to us in language and words that others can understand. Do we care enough to do that? Of course, when you make the jump into another culture, learning a language is another experience also. And that really takes on some significance. It's like becoming a child again. Uh, you make all the mistakes that children make in grammar. You say funny things. Like the time I wanted to say that Anne fed a giraffe and I said she ate it. That brought some uh, peals of laughter. <laughs> or the time I wanted to order a turkey and ended up ordering a Turk. Uh, <laughs> with big legs, you know. There's a lot of Turkish guest workers in Germany, by the way. <laughs> They don't like them very well, but they don't eat them yet. (laughs) I'm convinced that the language that we need to communicate the message of Christ in is the language that a person learned on their mother's knee. And if we care enough, we'll learn to speak that language, whether it's English or German or Chinese, whether it's the same language, quote, but just from a different background. We'll learn to put that which means the most to us into terms that the person next to us can understand. Anne and I spent the first nine months in Germany, 40 to 70 hours a week, practicing German. Uh, German has four different cases, nominative, accusative, dative, and genitive. The subject case, the object case, indirect object, and possessive case. Learning German is a little bit like learning to juggle four balls as you're riding on a bicycle. And uh, it's hard work. We demand of our staff, though, as they come, if they come from overseas to work in Germany, that they spend the first 18 months just in language study. The first 12 months doing nothing else but language study, and then the following six months in a transition period into uh, working on the university or with churches. Why? Because the language of the heart is the language that your mother spoke. We need to care enough to give our best, to learn to put things in words and terms that others understand. And that's also true for the person that works next to us. Maybe speaks the same, quote, language we speak, but do they understand the words we use as we talk about Christ? Or do we have to say it our way? Are we willing to learn their customs, their ways? An example comes to mind... Uh, of learning customs. My experience as a child, as I'm sure your experience was, uh, whenever you got your hand on the table, after a, a split second, your father or mother said, uh, get your hand off the table. Put your hand in your lap. That's the definition of a split second, the time between the child's hand reaching the table and the time that the parent says, get it off. That was my experience, at least. And after a while, you learn that. Germans don't put their hands in their laps. They have both hands on the table. And the first time I heard a German mother say, put your hand on the table, my brain went into a spasm. (laughs) I thought, this cannot be. (laughs) Something deep down within me said, no way. But then I realized, you'd better do it. If you're going to be, if you're going to communicate in their terms, in a way that they will understand. Christ took time to learn our language, quote, and our culture. Do we care enough to learn the language of the people we want to communicate Christ with? Even if it's just the short distance from our culture to that of our next door neighbor. I have a third observation about how Christ came as an example for us of how we are to take his message to others. And that is that Christ did not come on his own authority. He said, as the Father sent me, so send I you. I shared with you, a number of you the last time that we had an opportunity to be in Boise, uh, an experience that was one of the most unique experiences I believe I've ever had. Uh, I and two friends were invited to visit with the President of Germany. In Germany, the President is the head of state, but not the head of government, as in England. The Queen is the head of state, and the Prime Minister is the head of government, and the President is the head of state, and the the Chancellor is the head of government. Well, we visited with the President, the head of state, and then also with the leader of the opposition party, the then-time opposition party in Parliament, who is now the Chancellor as well as a number of other men in Bonn, the federal capital, who are uh, now in the cabinet in the German government. And as I was walking with these friends along the tree-lined streets in Bonn, the thought came to me, who am I going to talk to the president of this country? I'm a simple Idaho potato, and uh, here I am walking to an appointment with a president. That was about four years after we arrived in Germany. And at that point, the thought came to me, yes, you have a reason to go. Not because you're representing yourself, but because I've sent you. Because you're an ambassador for Christ. And that gave me a completely different perspective on that visit. I wasn't going representing myself on my own authority, but I was representing the King of Kings. We had a wonderful time. Spent over an hour talking with this man who is a true believer and uh, a wonderful Christian. We didn't know that at the time when we were going. We discovered that afterward. But it was a significant time talking about spiritual things. And we had similar conversations with some of the other leaders as well. But we are ambassadors for Christ, all of us that know Christ personally. We represent the King of Kings. We never have to feel intimidated by the position or power of another person because we are commissioned and sent by the one who is the king of all kings. He has given us the authority to promise men and women that if they will turn from self and set their lives in the hand of Christ, that they will experience release from their sin and, and power to make a new beginning and live a life as God planned for men and women to live. That is an amazing authority. Christ displayed that authority in his own work. There was a time when he was sitting in a home and uh, there were crowds of people around him and four friends wanted to get their crippled buddy in to see Christ and they dug a hole in the roof taking the... uh, and the straw away from the roof of that Palestinian home and lowered this man that was crippled on his uh, pallet before Christ. And Christ looked at the man and he said, "Uh, By the way, your sins are forgiven. Well, that doesn't seem to make a lot of difference to a person who's crippled right then, does it? But Christ knew the connection between sin and suffering. He knew that the real problem that we as human beings have is that we're separated from God. All the other problems are secondary, no matter how significant they may be. But he said with authority, your sins are forgiven. And then a number of the religious types that were sitting around there began to grumble and say, now, wait a minute, uh, let's discuss this theologically. Only God is able to forgive sins. And Christ smiled and he said, right on. Uh, now, this is a free translation. Uh, <laughs> then he said to the man that was crippled, By the way, so that you'll know that the Son of Man has authority to forgive sins, uh, would you please take up your bed and walk? And the man stood up, took up his sleeping bag and rolled it up and walked out. We have authority in Christ. We have been sent. As Christ was sent by the Father, so we have authority to promise men and women that their lives can be radically transformed, forgiven, healed, and set on a new path as they place their trust in Christ. Question, where's that power in your life? Where's that power in my life? Do we demonstrate that type of authority that Christ has really given us? How would you deal with a person who is demon-possessed? a person who is in the clutches of a habit that they can't break, a person who doesn't know how to quit thinking about a thought that just keeps running around and around and around in their mind? Where is the power of the Holy Spirit in our life? God has that power. He wants to make it available to us as we, by faith, walk with Christ in the power of the Holy Spirit. That's a question worth reflecting on. Are we experiencing what we should be as followers of Christ? A fourth observation of how Christ came and how we are to go to others. He came as a servant. One of the most significant passages passage in all of the Gospels is in Mark chapter 10. This particular statement was so important that Christ made it at least on four different occasions. It's recorded on four separate occasions in the Gospels. Uh, Two of the disciples, James and John, had uh, decided they wanted to do a little lobbying for their position in the kingdom of God. They knew that Christ was the Messiah and they wanted to make sure that things got arranged just right. So they set their mother up and said, uh, Mom, would you please help us with this? And they sort of sent her as interference uh, to talk to Christ, running interference, and then they talked to Christ about him giving them the places of authority in his kingdom, on his right and left hand. And Christ said, these places belong to those for whom they've been prepared. And then in verse verse 41, when the other ten, the other ten disciples heard about this, Mark 10, they became indignant with James and John. They got a little frosty about this whole business, that these men would try to pull an end run around everyone else and get a special seat in the kingdom of God. Jesus called them together and said, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, this is very important, Even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Do you want to discover the significance of life? It's not, as Robert Ringer puts it, looking out for number one. It's as Jesus put it, look for a place to serve. Look for a place where you can make a contribution for the cause of Christ, and for the welfare of others. Whether that's in a home taking care of children, whether that's in business, whether it's on the mission field, wherever it is, the primary question is, where am I serving the best? Where can I be a servant? Being a servant isn't a very popular occupation these days. On the north side of Chicago, I hear it's pretty tough to find good servants these days. Why? The whole idea of servanthood is passé in a culture where everyone's looking out for number one. But Jesus said the tragedy of that is that if you seek to save your soul, you're going to lose it. If you try to hold on to it, it's going to slip through your fingers. The only way to keep it is to give it away. The only way to keep life and love is to give it away. Christ came as a servant. You know, um, just one note on this, Uh, being a servant, people have a strange image of Christians sometimes. They think they're really naive. Uh, They have an even stranger view of people that are sort of involved in missions in some ways. Missionaries are sort of otherworldly people that uh, have wings that are concealed uh, on their back and things like that, and... uh, they usually dress with clothes out of a missionary grab bag, a chartreuse tie, you know, with a plaid uh, madras jacket. And part of the picture, too, is, of course, the little lady next to the missionary with her hair up in a bun. The Germans call that a hallelujah onion. Uh, <laughs> And uh, as the picture fades with the sun sinking into the west, the sign over this picture, please tread on me. Um, (laughs) I am here to tell you that is not Christ's picture of missions. Those whom he sends have authority. I am somewhat amused sometimes. Folk, uh, I'm sure this wouldn't relate to anyone here, but some folk think uh, people involved in working in missions... uh, are somewhat naive and they tiptoe around certain subjects like Dallas or homosexuality or nude dancing or things like this. They're things that really we wouldn't know anything about. Um, You know, the tragedy is is that holiness understands sin but sin does not understand holiness. I have looked in the eyes Of many young people and others. And I know what the bondage and the demons of this generation are all about and I hate them. Sin is a terrible thing. It's not something which is a joke. It's not something that's fun. It's not something that we should make movies about because it grips people's lives like an octopus and a cancer. Christ understood sin better than anyone and yet he was sinless. Being a servant of God does not mean you're naive. In fact, it says in the Sermon on the Mount that blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And the one who sees God can see through everything else. It's striking how often the motives and intentions of people's hearts are laid bare even though they want to conceal them if we walk with Christ in the power of his spirit and are filled with his word sometimes you realize someone's trying to take an advantage take advantage of you or use you or manipulate you sometimes out of love you let yourself be used other times you draw the line because that would be bad for that other person but it's not naive it's not blind Christ's Spirit gives insight and power. But there is a precondition to that, and that is purity. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Purity is a bit out of fashion these days, isn't it? We talk, though, about pure gold, and it takes a pure ruby in order to create a laser beam that can cut through steel. And the reason often we don't experience power in our lives as believers in Christ is that there's some area of our life that is impure. There's some closet in our house of our lives that we've locked up and we're keeping God out of. Please don't mess around with that, Lord. I want to keep that to myself. And I'd pose the question, are we pure? Are our lives pure so that we can be channels of God's power? If so, it's going to mean we're going to be a little bit out of step with our culture. But like uh, the poem says, if someone is a little out of step, it may mean they're marching to a different drummer. It may mean they're hearing a different beat. How are we? How do we stack up as far as that statement, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. In conclusion, I'd like to just reflect with you again on what an adventure it is to follow Christ. There's no greater adventure in life than to follow the King of kings and Lord of lords. You know, one gives one's life away. One seems to throw it away and gain nothing. But is that really true? Jim Elliott, the... Missionary who was martyred by the Alca Indians in Ecuador in 1956, wrote in his diary, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. And I'd like to share with you in conclusion the story of a young man. He was a son of one of the leading families of England. He was a sportsman. He was the captain of the national team. He went to Cambridge University his name was C.T. Studd he's of a different generation but his life and his story still lives on he and a number of friends met Christ while at Cambridge University and he made a decision to throw it all away he gave up position prestige money as I said he was one from one of the great families of England and he became a missionary There's a movement that lives on today that was founded by C.T. Studd and his friends. Six others of his friends, six other friends of his from Cambridge, became missionaries too. They went down in history as the Cambridge Seven. And C.T. Studd worked on three continents for Christ. But in closing, I'd like to share with you his thoughts. As he sat on a boat at the mouth of the Congo River at the beginning of a great gold rush, where thousands and thousands of people were trying to get upstream to gather gold to make their fortune. He wrote in his diary, Are gamblers for gold so many, and gamblers for God so few? There's no craze as great as the gambler's craze. And then he jotted down, I want to be a gambler for God. He threw his life on the table, He staked everything on Christ. He gave it all away, but did he really? Christ said he who would save his life, seeks to save his life, will lose it. But he who loses his life for my sake and the Gospels will save it. Are we willing to take that step of throwing our lives away for Christ? Throwing away a reputation perhaps by speaking to a person about Christ whom we have reservations about how they would understand it. They think I'm strange. Queer, odd. What an odd duck. Talking about religion. Gamblers for gold are many. Gamblers for God? Are we willing? Let's stand and pray together. Holy, holy, holy Lord God Almighty, the whole earth is full of your glory. Lord, we want to follow you. We are willing to throw our lives onto the table to risk everything for the sake of Christ. Lord, we stand at attention. We want to be your people. Cleanse our lives. Make us pure. Fill us with your Holy Spirit and send us to the world. In Jesus' name, amen.